All right, so today we want to uh, continue our study uh, in uh, the uh, book of Acts, and we are in the ninth chapter, and I actually uh, asked uh, Jenny to read the portion today that uh, we're going to talk about, and that is in Acts chapter 9. Kind of interesting, though, uh, when you read uh, Jeremiah's call uh, and then Paul's call, there's a lot that there is in common. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, one of the things we'll see is, is that Jeremiah's call, who would want Jeremiah's call, you know, uh, or Isaiah's call? You know, with Jeremiah, it's, you know, you're going to have to turn over the, uh, you're going to have to tear down before you build up, you know? Uh, and uh, uh, with uh, Isaiah, for example, you're going to go to the people and they're not going to listen to you. It sounds so appetizing, you know? Uh, it doesn't it? I think that's what I want to do, you know, and uh, and so uh, it, it really is kind of interesting. We're going to be talking uh, today about calling a little bit of what that means, what it means to all of us. And uh, we really need to have our eyes opened about that. It isn't, uh, so to speak, uh, it isn't glamorous, you know, it isn't glamorous, uh, but it is absolutely vital and fulfilling. You know what I mean? Vital and fulfilling and life-giving and beneficial uh, for us and for others. And, and that's a little bit of what we want to see. So here uh, in chapter 9, we saw last time uh, Paul, Saul, he's not called Paul yet, right? He's on his way to Damascus uh, to uh, round up uh, the Messianic Jews and we read some different passages last week about how he describes the, you know, how mean he was, frankly, uh, and how bad he was, to, just to use that uh, uh, terminology. Uh, but a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus, right? He has this encounter uh, with God. He has this encounter with God. He wasn't praying to know the Lord. He wasn't like the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, you know, uh, he wasn't like anybody, frankly, that we've seen uh, 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 so far. He was someone who was far away from God, far away from the Lord, and God just broke in. And so I hope that that encourages us uh, because, you know, nobody is beyond the saving hand of God. There's nobody that's beyond, nobody alive uh, who's living uh, that is beyond the saving hand of God. Uh, and, and so I think that that's really, you know, uh, so significant uh, that uh, uh, how he recognized the light. We talked about the light uh, last week, and we recognized the light was the light of God. Uh, and he, he sees Yeshua. He, see, he sees Yeshua, and how ironic that is, is that he was, he was uh, the, holding the coats for the people that were stoning Stephen, and Stephen saw Yeshua, right? And now, now Saul, who was in hearty agreement with the stoning of Stephen, sees Yeshua too. And you know, it's kind of interesting, in the 15th chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, in the beginning verses where Paul is talking about the risen Messiah and how everybody saw him, he includes himself in verses 8, 9, and 10. I won't take the time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 8, 9, and 10, he, he includes himself 
among the people that sees the resurrected Messiah. And, and, uh, and he uh, says how, you know, he's so unworthy because of how he was persecuting the believers. Yet God allowed him to see the risen Messiah and his experience on the Damascus Road uh, was very important to him for the rest of his life. It wasn't just an experience that he had and then he went from there, but he carried this experience uh, with him for the rest of his life. And, you know, and so for all of us, when we come to faith in Yeshua, it may not be as dramatic as this. For most of us, it's, it's not this dramatic, but it might be somewhat dramatic, right? Or we just eventually came around to recognizing it, whatever it, whatever it is, I think it's really important uh, to write it down and to remember it because there'll be times in our lives when we, when things we're in, in particular circumstances, when we may wonder, do I really know the Lord? Was it really real? What, what happened to me? And then you have like a journal, perhaps written documentation that you can read and then go back on and say, yeah, I remember what it was like. I remember the newness of it. I remember that. I remember that myself. I was laying in bed. You know, everybody has a different, a different experience. Uh, people had shared the good news with me and one person or two people in particular. Uh, and I, it was all kind of like percolating inside of me. Uh, and it's very interesting. I was on uh, the uh, middle schoolers call last week and one of our middle schoolers uh, was sharing an experience about themselves. And I said, wow, you know, I had that kind of experience that I remember thinking if I like, commit myself, if I say a prayer, if I really commit myself to Yeshua, will it be real or will it be like a dud? You know, like it happens to everybody else, but not to me. And uh, part of that is just saying, no, you know, I'm going to trust God for this. And, and I uh, prayed when I said, Lord, if, uh, you know, if Yeshua, is, God, if Yeshua is really the Messiah, I, I, I want to know, I want to receive him. If he's not, I don't want to have anything to do with this. So just make this real, Lord. And I was laying in my bed. I, I even know the date. It was August the 4th in 1976. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I was all by myself. And I just knew that it was true. And I knew that I had moved from point A to point B. That's what I like to say it. I don't, I don't, I didn't know very much, you know, I didn't know very much about the good news, but I knew that I was affected by it. You know, I, I knew that Yeshua was the Messiah. I knew that he is the son of God. I knew, and, and I knew other things, even though I could not explain them, you know, uh, that there was the, the father, the son, the Ruach, the, uh, that uh, he died for my sins and that he rose from the dead. That those are the things that I knew. Uh, I didn't know a lot of other things, but I knew that, you know, uh, and, uh, and I received the Lord. And I remember that now all these many years later, it still affects me, uh, that testimony, you know, of, uh, of coming to know the Messiah. And I think that's really true for, uh, for all of us. And so we saw last time that, um, you know, he recognizes that uh, this is from God, this light is from God. Uh, and we see here that he, uh, you know, uh, he says, uh, who are you, Lord? And, uh, and Yeshua says, he says, I'm Yeshua, whom you're persecuting. 
and then he tells him what, what to do. And we talked about that, 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 Yeshua, that Paul or Saul, he didn't see himself as persecuting Yeshua. He didn't care about Yeshua. It was about these people, that getting these people, persecuting these people, that from his point of view uh, were apostate Jews and that he had a zeal for God and he needed to do something about this. But here we see this great truth of the identity of the body of Messiah with Yeshua himself, with Yeshua himself. And, you know, we're going to see in this testimony this week and next week uh, a number of things that happened to him in this experience that really uh, guide him in what he writes in those letters. There's a number of things that, that he understands that he's going to apply to the believers at Ephesus, Philippi, and Thessalonica, and Colossae, and all those letters that he writes. Well, one thing that he learns right away is that there is some kind of a presence of Yeshua in these people, and by persecuting these people, he's persecuting the, uh, the Messiah, right? And uh, he's going to learn a lot about suffering and persecution himself, but it is very interesting. So we said last time that we need to remember that that Yeshua is identified with us in the way that we carry ourselves. And when we are persecuted, it's not about us. It's about him. And that he is the one who, uh, uh, it, we're the messengers. As we'll see, we're the instruments. But it's all about him. It's not about us. That's why we should never take it personally. That's why when uh, people come against us, we shouldn't hate them or or dislike them, but we should be praying for them because it's not about us. You know, uh, many of us even may remember being in that situation ourselves, coming against, uh, you know, those who are preaching the good news uh, of, the, uh, of, of the Messiah. And so uh, what we see uh, here is uh, Paul being called uh, and, uh, and his understanding of it initially. Okay. So uh, we see here in verse uh, 6 of chapter 9, Rise, enter the city, and it shall be told to you what you must do. Okay, so immediately uh, he is told uh, to rise, get up. He's on the ground, enter the city, and that city is Damascus. He's near Damascus. And it shall be told to you what you must, uh, what you must do. Now, uh, everybody else that was around him, they were speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anything. So they had a version of this experience. It's kind of interesting. So he gets up off the ground, and now he's blind. And so it's like he was a man of great zeal and, uh, and power, and now he's blind, and he has to be led into the city. You know, uh, Something very interesting ab about him. Uh, that, uh, again, I, I probably said this last week, but it bears repeating. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, where Paul is talking about the Jewish people, he says, they have a zeal, but not in accordance with knowledge. And really, that is his testimony. He had a zeal for God. He had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with the knowledge of righteousness. And now God is going to take that great quality of his uh, and, uh, and turn it into something very powerful, that now he's going to have a zeal for God with knowledge, uh, and, um, uh, and God uh, is going to use him uh, mightily. So then it says in verse 9, and he was 
three days without sight, neither eating or drinking. Okay, and, and so he didn't eat or drink. People like to surmise why he didn't eat or drink. Was it because he was repenting or this or that? May I suggest that he was overwhelmed by this experience? It was just like this. This is what you do when you have an overwhelming experience with God. He, he could not eat or drink. He was overwhelmed by this experience uh, that he had. Now, uh, we see now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Hananiah. How do you like that? Now some of us are going to start calling Ananias uh, Hanani, right? There you go. Uh, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Hananiah or Ananias. And he said, behold, here I am, Lord. Isn't this very interesting? He sounds a lot like a prophet. You know, like, remember, that's what Isaiah said. You know, here I am, Lord. He named me, right? Uh, and uh, little did uh, Hananiah or Ananias know what he was about to be told, right? So he has this vision, and we see that he is a disciple. He's a follower of the Messiah who's in Damascus. And we said last time, Damascus was a cosmopolitan city. Uh, it had several different trade routes that went through it. Uh, and so people heard about Yeshua, and there was a congregation uh, there uh, in, uh, in Damascus. There was already some congregations. There was one in Antioch. In fact, uh, in fact uh, I received uh, an email I, um, uh, from uh, Bill... Um, Griffin, uh, this past week, uh, telling me, reminding me that that congregation in Antioch is still there uh, and functioning. And that, that was kind of interesting. So thank you, Bill. Uh, I hope that you're uh, watching on YouTube or uh, in our uh, meeting here today. Uh, but anyway, so there was a congregate, there was a group, a house congregation, evidently, uh, in Damascus. And so Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Now he's going to be told something that's going to be really hard for him to swallow. This is a real tough one. Uh, and, and it's this. The Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight. The street called Straight was like the Cardo. You know what I mean? Like when we go to Israel, the Cardo, like where all the shops are, you know, it, like the, the, main, the main drag, so to speak, you know. And people lived above uh, the shops and markets and so on. And it says, inquire at the house of Judas. So now this is interesting. We don't know anything about this guy, Judas. But we do know, evidently, he was a Messiah follower. And perhaps uh, it was in his house that the uh, congregation met. We don't know. But isn't it interesting? His name is, is forever uh, uh, among us, this particular one. One of the things that we learn here is that everybody had a role to play. This Judas had a role to play. Ananias had a role to play. You know, it reminds me of, um, if some of you uh, maybe have heard of uh, Dwight Lyman Moody, right? The, the one who started Moody Bible Institute, Moody, D.L. Moody. So he has a very interesting testimony. Of course, you know, uh, he was world-renowned. In fact, in the Chicago Tribune, the, the day he died, the, uh, the headlines was the whole front page of the Chicago Tribune, and it said, Moody dies. That's the entire front page. Of the <laughs> so he was very well known in his day. But the way he came to know the Lord is he was like a street kid, and somebody invited him to a Sunday school. 
And the, and the teacher uh, was a man who worked in a shoe store. And he led D.L. Moody to faith. And that's like a great story in the, in the world of Moody Bible Institute. You know, that uh, this man who worked in a shoe store changed the world because he influenced D.L. Moody to embrace Yeshua, right? And so this Judas, that's all we know about him. Is, it was his house. Uh, Ananias, this is all we know about him. But isn't it amazing the, uh, you know, how God used him, used these people in such a dramatic kind of way. And that's how he wants to use you and I. It's not about headlines. It's not about I did this or I did that, but just being faithful to God when he calls us. You never know what God will do. Okay. All right. So it says here, inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Hanania, Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So he's saying this is what Paul or Saul knows is, is going to happen. I gave him a vision that he would see this, right? Okay, so now Ananias says, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your holy ones, to your saints at Jerusalem. What? He is like, we're afraid of him. We hide from him, you know, and, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. There must be some mistake here. Right? Uh, and then we read, but the Lord said to him, go. Isn't that great? He just, go. Like, watch my lips, you know? <laughs> go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay? So here, he, uh, uh, Ananias is told, this is what I want you to tell him. Okay? And so now Ananias has to have this courage because he's really taking his life in his hands from his vantage point. That's how I would feel that I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, this one, the, the, the one who comes against us, uh, and, and he knows you now? This is, you know, this is hard to believe. Now, Paul later on recounts this uh, in several different passages. And uh, I guess I'll read them now. It'll be months before we get to them uh, in, uh, in Acts. But in Acts 22, let me read a few verses here, beginning in verse 12, okay? Beginning in verse 12, he says this. He's recounting all of this, all right? Okay. Uh, and he says, A certain uh, Hananiah, a man who was devout by the standard of the, law, of the Torah and well spoken by all of the Jews, lived there. So that's something interesting about Ananias. He was, uh, he was a well-known Jewish person who knew the Lord. 
Uh, and this is the one. Maybe, maybe he's like one of the leaders of the Jewish community, you know, uh, who has come to faith and, one, uh, and perhaps one of the leaders of the congregation. And he's going to interact. He's the one who's called to interact with Shaul. Okay. All right. So he says, uh, he came to me and standing near me, he said, Brother Saul. Isn't that great? Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Uh, it's probably a double entendre, you know. Brother, a Jewish brother and brother in Messiah, you know, nothing wrong with that terminology. Receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said to me, the God of our fathers, again, very important terminology, the God of our fathers. That's like what we say in the Amidah, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And later on, he himself will use this terminology when he speaks to the congregations, the God of our fathers, very important, okay, has appointed you. He appointed him, right? This was not just some uh, nice idea that maybe I'll do this. He had, a, as we'll see here, a specific calling on his life to do this. No, unequivocally, uh, he had this calling on his life. He has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. But that moment on the Damascus Road changed his life forever in very dramatic ways. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now I have to stop there too. I, can't, I just can't help myself. And that is, uh, this defines, when we talk about being a witness, you are my witnesses. This is, this is a great verse to define what that means. Being a witness of Yeshua is not just simply uh, to teach something. Uh, and uh, it, it is not a doctrinal statement. But look what it says. Of what you have seen and heard. I am a witness. I am an eyewitness that God is alive. I am an eyewitness of the resurrection of, of Yeshua because he lives and because he lives, I live, and this is how I know. Uh, and so the, the word of God coupled with our own uh, relationship with God is very moving. That's why everybody has a testimony. That's why we should never feel that, um, you know, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to share the good news. Uh, I, I don't have enough information. You know, most people in this world are looking for hope. And if you can... I uh, show people that you have real hope and your hope is not based on circumstances. Sometimes people will say, well, what is it that makes you tick? What is that hope? Why is it that you seem to not be sinking in the quicksand like the rest of us? I know you're not in denial. You know, your head is screwed on, right? You, you know, you're a normal person. What is it? And see, a testimony, we all have a testimony. Again, why it's so important, I believe, to write it down uh, so that you can share where you were, who you are, what God did in your life. And it's what God did in your life. It's not all about you with a little section of what God did. It's all about him with a little section about what, he, you know, about you. Uh, and uh, very, very, very important. Okay. All right. Uh, and then he says here again in uh, Acts 22 in verse 16, 
Now, why do you delay? Arise, be immersed, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So we see he was immersed. The order is not important, uh, but he comes to really embrace the Lord there on the Damascus Road, and here he is. He's immersed. He calls on the name of Yeshua. Okay? Now, since we're here, I'm going to say something else, because uh, uh, I don't want to take the time to turn back. But see in verse 17, in the next verse, in Acts 22, it says, And it came about when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying. There's a lot of question about when he returned to Jerusalem. Because in Galatians chapter 1, and you can look at it on your own, in Galatians chapter 1, it says that after he had this experience, he went to Arabia. He went into the desert for three years. And then he went to Jerusalem. And during that three-year period, God, he was immersed in the word of God. And God taught him so much about what he would, you know, his, his ministry and his calling and so on. So there is a question, did he go back to Jerusalem right away and then go to Arabia for three years? Did he go to Arabia three years and now? But it seems that he went to Arabia after Damascus. And then he went back to Damascus for a while, back out into the desert. And then he went to Jerusalem. Uh, and then he had this vision that, he's gonna, that he talks about after that. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you're aware of it, but... Uh, although it doesn't exist anymore, you know, um, like uh, Moody, where I went to school, Moody Bible Institute or Philadelphia College of the Bible, these Bible institutes, most of them are now colleges, but they were institutes. They were all three years long. They were all three years long and you'd get a diploma. And my understanding is the reason that they were three years long is that that's how long Paul was in Arabia. And so like ministry preparation, three years. And it does tell you something. It's not here, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, uh, they're from Galatians chapter 1. You have to get prepared, you know, and, uh, and that's all in God's hands. But I'm just saying, it's not like, um, you know, he had this experience in Damascus and now he's off. No, a period of time went by when he was by himself with the Lord. And so that's just kind of interesting. Okay, if we turn over to chapter 26 for a minute. Chapter 26 and verse 16, he talks about this as well, uh, about what happened after the fact. He says in verse 16 of uh, chapter 26, Arise and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you. See, this is what the Lord told, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. Okay, uh, and so he's he's saying there's more to come. There's more you're going. You're going to have way more interactions with me, so that you'll know what it is you're a minister to and and what your testimony is. Okay, delivering you from the Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. There's so much there. Paul talks about in his letters, inheritance. He talks about moving from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. He talks about his being appointed as a minister. He talks about suffering. He talks about his different sufferings. And, you know, when he says uh, here, 
uh, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, about his persecution. We receive that he receives 39 lashes from uh, the Jewish authorities. You know what's very interesting about that? He would not have received those 39 lashes if he was not considered Jewish. That was an intra-Jewish punishment. Uh, Pagans or Gentiles would not receive that. And so this is what you get for being a Jewish apostate. See what I mean? He was still certainly considered uh, a Jewish, but he did receive a persecution. But he would be delivered from that persecution to go back to, to these very same people with the words of truth. And isn't it amazing that, you know, in Acts, uh, Paul says, I would rather be accursed myself, separated from God, if I could, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, I would, it's not possible, but I would let go of my own salvation on their account. That, te- that tells you he, how much he loved them. And that is a real challenge for us. Do we love our people, whoever our people may be? You know, uh, our families who may come against us, our local community or culture that comes against us, Israel, the Jewish people that comes against us. Do we have that kind of attitude toward them, this loving, dying to self attitude toward them? So in Paul's calling, we do uh, read, we read, uh, we read a lot here. All right. Uh, and uh, so now going back uh, to uh, uh, chapter nine, what we see uh, here is, is Paul's calling. So here in uh, uh, chapter nine, we see uh, here uh, that uh, Ananias is, is told to him that uh, Paul or Saul is a chosen instrument to bear the name before Gentiles, kings, the sons of Israel, uh, and that uh, he would see how much that he would suffer. And then it says in verse 17, Hanania or Ananias departed and entered the house. And if you're laying hand, his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Ruach. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, he arose and was immersed, and he took food and, and was strengthened. Now for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Yeshua in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And of course, people are saying, whoa, this is like unbelievable. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, wait a minute, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called upon this name and who has who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Yeshua is the Messiah. Uh, And so just like Philip, he preached Messiah. You know, he preached Messiah, and he says, Messiah, the Son of God. He knew what he was talking about. Messiah, the King of Israel. Messiah, the Messianic King. Because of his previous knowledge, he understood what it meant that that Yeshua is the Messiah. He is the Messianic King. Uh, This is the inauguration of the kingship of God. 
uh, and uh, and moving from the people from the domain of darkness, uh, you know, uh, uh, to God. And so he, there were certain things that he immediately understood. He immediately understood Yeshua is Lord. Could he explain all of it? Maybe not. But he was able to proclaim in power the name of Yeshua, not because it was about him, but because of the calling that he had from God and the filling of the Ruach. So I wanted to speak, uh, as we uh, finish up, I think, today, I wanted to say just a couple of words about the idea of calling, okay? The idea of calling. You know, we're all called. Paul uses the word all over the place, the idea of, of calling. It's like a summons to, to be called. It's like a summons. Do you remember at the end of John chapter 1, John 1 you know, the disciples are doing their thing and Yeshua just says, follow me. It's like there's a call, follow me, right? Uh, and and uh, that's true for all of us. Now, it doesn't mean that all of us have to quit our vocations or, or travel somewhere or drop everything and, and leave. For some people, it may, but it is not the norm. The norm of being called is to realize that now I serve God. I no longer serve myself. Now I serve God. I'm a slave of God. I am not a slave of the culture. I'm not a slave of the flesh. I am a slave of God. Do with me what you will, uh, Lord. And it's important to know because in a number of places in Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 17, and in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, he says, whatever you do, you know, he's not concerned for the Colossian people, for the people in Colossae to leave everything. No, in fact, in, to the Thessalonians, he says, live a quiet life, work with your hands. And so being called is to be a follower of Yeshua uh, in whatever it is that we're doing. That's what it means uh, to be uh, a called. Uh, you know, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we read, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. It's a lifestyle. He says, that's in Ephesians 4.1. In 4.4, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. So we're called to a lifestyle, uh, uh, which is a Torah way of life. We're called to unity. When we receive that calling, we're part of a unified body. The only time disunity comes is when we're not living in the calling. <laughs> when we're going off on our own, that's where disunity comes. In Colossians 3.15, he says, let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Live Messiah's way with shalom in our hearts, right? Um, I, in Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11, to this end we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Yeshua will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Yeshua. We're called to glorify his name, to live the Yeshua uh, life. But you know what it also says? Uh, it also says in Philippians chapter 1, in verses 29 and 30, for to you it has been granted for Messiah's sake, not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. 
that Paul understands that he is called to suffer, but that all Messiah followers are called to a level of persecution and suffering. Suffering in the Bible means being rejected, pain. We may give it different meanings. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, we may give suffering different meanings, but in the Bible, it means experiencing the pain of rejection. Uh, the, the, the pain that, that uh, uh, Paul talks about, right? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Messiah will be persecuted, right? Uh, and he is called, it's interesting, he was called to make people suffer when he had a zeal without the knowledge of righteousness, right? And now he's called to suffer. He's called to experience what we might call the Messiah life. We should never reject suffering for the sake of righteousness. Sometimes we, we suffer for the sake of being obnoxious, uh, uh, you know, or we suffer for the sake of uh, being uh, weird or crazy or something, uh, or inappropriate, right? Uh, but if we're suffering for the sake of righteousness, receive it. You are an instrument from God. You know, there's nowhere where uh, God says to Paul here, to Saul in his calling, God has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? I'm, I know that, you know, you have served me, you love me. Now you're going to get that motorcycle that you wanted. Now you're going uh, to have cattle on seven hills. Now you're going to get everything you want. And, and you know, and, and people are going to bow down to you and just love on you. Uh, you know, no, that's not the calling, right? He's called. Called means it's like being um, drafted <laughs> into the service. You're in the army now, you know, and next week I've run out of time. Next week we're going to talk more about what calling means. Uh, but we're all called, and this is Paul's uh, uh, calling. And I'll just say in closing that uh, in the days in which we are living, we need to recognize that we are a called people. We're called to be different from the world. We're called with a different hope than this world. Don't sink into the quicksand. Don't Get your feathers ruffled in all kinds of arguments, horizontal arguments about the culture and about politics and, and this and that. That's not what, if you know Messiah, that is not the calling. The calling is Yeshua. Yeshua, proclaim the hope. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be ignorant and we should not uh, be in the public square. We should never be involved or anything. But we better be different, and people better be able to know that we are different. They knew that about him, and uh, next week we'll talk more about calling in our own lives, but recognize that all of us are called. We may not have such a dramatic moment as, uh, as Saul, but we all are called. If you have received Messiah into your life, there's a calling on your life to serve, right? In your vocation, and how important it is to be able to uh, understand uh, and, and to say that, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, remain the way you are in your calling. In other words, you don't have to go and quit everything you're doing uh, or this and that, but you, you have a different worldview. You have a different mindset, and uh, you can live uh, in that uh, uh, call. And so that's uh, a little bit from Paul's calling. We'll talk more about it next time, but uh, right now let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have. 
Lord, to be called. Lord, I pray that we would walk in that calling. And we thank you for Shaul. And we thank you, Lord, how you called him. God, uh, uh, he was a man who was zealous. And thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you took him from a, uh, a false understanding of what it means to be zealous for you to the right understanding of what it means to be zealous for you. And uh, Lord, so I pray, God, that we would all understand that calling in our lives, that we've all, we're all uh, called to serve uh, you, O Lord. And uh, uh, we thank you for Ananias. May we be an Ananias. Uh, Judas here, uh, may we be a Judas. If If we're the one who opens our home, if we're the one who shares with someone, we all have a role to play in what you're doing in this world. Thank you, and we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.